people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important issue, how to prevent, identify, and dispute medical billing errors. Um, This can be such a difficult topic, especially when dealing with a health issue, but it's so important. Today, we have Lisa Zamowski. She writes for the Los Angeles Times Consumer Health Care column called Health 411, as well as WebMD's Health Insurance Navigator blog. She also has her own website called lisazamowski.com, where you can go and find out, you know, some more information about this issue. But we're so excited to have Lisa here with us today. So we have so much information to cover. I'm going to jump right into the questions. So Lisa, what is the most common billing error? There are a number of them. Um, I think some of the things that people should look for are certainly things like additional services that weren't provided. A lot of times there are different procedures or supplies or medications um, that a patient never got that can show up on a bill. Um, If you've been hospitalized, I think really hospital bills are probably the most notorious when it comes to billing errors. So I think that if you're looking at a hospital stay, it's something that you should really be aware of going in. Um, Oftentimes, interesting, a a really common one is that people are often billed uh, for more time in the operating room that was actually used. And and that's something that you can check by taking a look at the anesthesiologist records um, because they have to state, you know, the time that the surgery started and ended. How would you have access to that, though? I don't think I've ever had an anesthesiologist record. You'd have to ask for this. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. You know, there are a lot of these things that you really need to ask for specifically, and it's kind of unfortunate because it puts a lot of onus, you know, on the patient. But usually if you call the billing department of a hospital, for example, a lot of times the bills that you get will not be itemized. You'll get sort of a lump sum. Um, You often have to place a special request and and ask for these things. And it's important to do that to make sure that everything kind of matches up and that you're not being overcharged. Well, you know, I guess everybody should be concerned about this all the time. But if you have primary insurance and you don't have secondary, that makes a big difference. Because you're being charged for that 20%, it can be huge. But if you have both insurances, maybe people aren't as concerned. That's possible. That's absolutely true. But, you know, even with secondary insurance, some things are covered and some things aren't. You're absolutely right. People who have both are are more inclined to, to have most of their costs covered. But, you know, even today, I think that high deductible health plans, which basically require you to meet sometimes a fairly steep amount of money before things kick in, and this can certainly come into play if you have uh, a hospital stay, you know, more people are really shouldering a much greater amount of their cost these days. I think that they used to worry less about it if they had insurance, feeling that most things are covered. But you're right. I mean, 20% seems like, hey, it's pretty good. My insurance company covered 80%, but, you know, 20% of a $50,000 surgery uh, adds up to a lot of money. Yeah, and I know a lot of my friends now have catastrophic insurance because of the fact that they, you know, 
it's a minimal amount of coverage, so they have to pay a lot out of pocket. That's becoming more popular because they can't afford the premiums. Right. And, and in fact, what's interesting, it's, it's definitely more popular for people who are purchasing insurance on their own because you're right, the premiums for those plans are considerably lower than plans that cover more services. And what's happening is because of the dramatic rise in uh, the cost of health insurance and, and health services in general, even employers that have historically uh, offered you know, pretty comprehensive benefit packages may still be offering those, but, but are also offering high deductible plans and increased rates. And they're, they're actually you know, encouraging their employees through different incentives to take those plans on because uh, more of the cost is shifted to the employee. Well, you know, one of the best ways is to prevent medical errors. So what are some ways that people can make sure they're covered before they get hit with a bill? Yeah, that's a great question. And I I really think that when it comes to these issues, uh, prevention can't always stop you from from facing some billing issues, but it really does go a long way uh, in making sure that you're not totally surprised by things and that you... uh, that you're, you're going to stop some of these things before they, they can happen. I mean, the first and most basic thing, and it's certainly probably one of the least fun things to do, is just to read your policy. You have to understand, again, particularly if you, if you know in advance that you're going for a particular type of treatment, if you're going to be hospitalized, really take the time to walk through your policy. Understand what your co-pays will be, your deductibles. Understand what is and is not covered. Um, I think one area that still gets people in a lot of trouble is really understanding, you know, do you need to get preauthorization for a particular procedure or a certain type of medication? These rules, understanding the basic rules associated with your insurance plan, if you're fortunate enough to have one, uh, are really critical and can enable you to sort of take the steps you need to take in advance to make sure you're following the rules so that you don't run into trouble. That's one thing. I, I think the other conversation that you need to have is with your physician um, and, and just talking in advance either with a physician or with the hospital and trying to understand up front what are the expected costs going to be. Um, for anybody who's been hospitalized, even if you've had that discussion, I think sometimes, oftentimes you may still be surprised. I think that it's difficult for them to 100% tell you uh, your cost will be X. But I think if you get an estimate up front, you try to get some kind of commitment in advance as to what those costs will be, I think that it it can go a long way in in reducing the amount of surprise and the errors that can take place. Well, I heard from somebody in the community that Dr. Berwick, who's the administrator of CMS, tried to be a secret shopper and figure out what things cost. And he couldn't... (laughs) get an answer. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to get a cost when you're you're having an endoscopy or anything like that. It's hard to say how much does this cost. I'm right about that, Lori. And, you know, and it's, and it's a challenge. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's really kind of crazy. Healthcare is just kind of the one, one place, one of the few places, if, if not the only one I can think of, where you go in for a service and it is really difficult to find out, you know, what does this cost? And there are a lot of things that contribute to that. Certainly insurance companies negotiate different rates with different providers. So you can get the same service uh, with one physician um, and it costs X and go to another one with this, you know, and it costs Y. So there are a lot of complicating factors. The good news is that while it's totally imperfect, there are some new resources out there, I think, for consumers, particularly people who are paying more of their own costs by themselves, to sort of check out in advance at least what a reasonable cost 
should be for their particular service, for the particular kind of care they're, they're looking for, and then to try and have those discussions up front to, to get as much of a, a commitment or a plan in advance as they can. It's not perfect, but it's better than being totally shocked and surprised <laughs> after the fact. Um, and I'll just give you a few of those resources. I mean, first of all, you can go to the government, um, the government's website on hhs.com, Health and Human Services, has something called Hospital Compare. And what you can find on there, among other pieces of information, um, are some of the common rates that Medicare pays for, for different services. If you're going to a hospital and you're a private payer, you don't have Medicare, you probably should bump those prices up about anywhere from 25 to 50%. But at least it gives you a starting point. Gives you an idea. Gives you an idea, exactly. How much you're going to be in debt. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's another site called Healthcare Blue Book, um, which does a similar, offers a similar service for typical negotiated rates um, that insurers would negotiate with a provider for a particular service in your particular region. And so what consumers want to do is to ask their doctor or the hospital for the um, what's called the CPT code, which is which is the procedural code, so that they can make sure that they're corresponding that um, on these sites to exactly the type of care they're getting. It, it at least enables you to walk in and at least have a base price with which you can possibly negotiate a fair price, because there's a lot more of that going on with doctors these days, um, and gives you an idea of what's fair and, and what's reasonable. Yeah, because I know one of the things, too, is I've found with the, I'll be seeing a certain physician, and then they actually contract with insurance companies. And then sometimes they just don't contract with that insurance company anymore. And you have an attachment to that doctor, and then you realize that, you know, he's out of network all of a sudden because, um, and, and it is, it's it's sad because I get attached to my physicians. I don't want to ever switch if I don't have to, especially when I've created a, a long-term relationship with a physician. Yeah, and I think that that's really common. I mean, we really we really do get attached to our physician, and particularly if you're dealing with a chronic illness, um, you know, you do form these relationships. They know your case, and you don't want to move. But, you know, you bring up a really excellent point, and I think it's particularly important now because we are in the time of the year um, when people who get their insurance at work and people who have Medicare uh, are, are entering into an open enrollment season, a time when they are going to take a look at, hopefully <laughs> take a look at, uh, and make choices uh, for the, the upcoming year about the, the plans that they'll get. And it's so important, among many other things, um, to really take a close look at your provider, the provider network. They do change. And you can go onto your insurance company's website and you can check oftentimes to see if the provider's on there. But I always encourage people to pick up the phone and say to their doctor's office, I have Aetna U.S. Healthcare, you know, and this PPO plan, are you still accepting patients? Um, again, if they're not, it, it puts you potentially in the difficult position of having to change doctors. But I think at least you have that information up front. You can make a choice rather than going to that doctor, assuming that he or she's in network, and then getting socked with this huge bill afterward because the whole thing is, has to be paid out of pocket. Well, you know, I know for myself, too, my insurance changes quite a bit. You know, it has in, in the last 20 years, like somebody becomes my primary. When I um, started dialysis, uh, I was transplanted in February, but a year prior to that, um, I was eligible for Medicare. And so I still had private insurance, 
And I had to go around and make sure all the uh, administrative offices of, of physicians and everything had um, my primary care and my secondary Medicare. And it's crazy how often they just assume Medicare was my primary. And, you know, it's like you have to put like the number one is my primary and this is my secondary or it just makes billing a nightmare. It does. And, you know, it's interesting, actually. Um, I, I talked the other day with uh, a contact of mine at one of the, the medical billing associates. Um, there, That's sort of a growing, a growing business um, these days to help people deal with... Uh, you know, deal with their bills. And I know that, for example, you're right. I mean, for people who are dealing um, with kidney disease, if you require dialysis or you've had a transplant, as you have, uh, Medicare comes into the picture. But at least I believe it's for the first 30 months that you're covered by Medicare. If you have private insurance, your private insurance is primary. And you're right. You, you can't assume that the billing offices of either a physician's office or even a hospital knows that. And it's, again, I think, unfortunate that consumers have to think about so many different things. You know, when you're sick and you're going to get care, you know, your health condition is really the primary thing on your mind, right? And it's, it's a lot of energy to think about it. But to the extent that you can have these conversations up front, contact your billing department, the billing department up front, and make it clear, this is primary, this is secondary, um, and the other thing is just to make sure that the information they have for you, your address, your billing address, is all accurate because these kinds of little clerical errors um, can cause lots of billing problems. It's, it's like preventative medicine, preventative billing errors, because all of this is prevention, so you don't get a stack of bills in the mail, especially when you're having a lot of procedures that just, you know, it's fearful whenever, I mean, I, you know, pretty much nowadays, whenever you get any mail, it's never any good news. I mean, you get good news by email or something like that. So, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I, unless it's my birthday, I dread going to the mailbox, um, you know, and, and then to get a stack of bills on top of it when you're not feeling well, like just because they didn't have the right information is crazy. Uh, you know, one of the things that I try to do, I'm not great at it, but especially when I'm going through a lot of things, I try to create a file of the current bills that are happening and then I'll kind of archive them later. But uh, I basically like open it up and then put it in a folder because um, you need to keep track of these bills. Yeah. I mean, kind of going along the theme of, of preventative um, preventative billing, I, I guess, as you said, which I, which I think is a, is a great point, it really is like preventative medicine, is to set up for yourself, again, particularly if you know you're going in for some kind of a, a procedure, you're going to be in the hospital, you have to anticipate that you're going to get a slew of bills coming to you in, in the weeks and months you know, following your care. So set up a system, whatever it is, even if you, as you said, just you know, take take a manila folder and, and label it bills, you know, hospital bills, and just throw everything in there. That way it's all in one spot. You don't have to go searching around the house for different items. And I also recommend to people, um, because you are not feeling well, because it, these issues can be so complicated even on your best days, um, if you have a friend or a family member who is pretty organized and is willing to help you, ask them if they can just sort of take this on for you. You know, can you help me organize this stuff? Can you help me keep track of this? Yeah, it can be daunting. <laughs> 
definitely can. Well, I had a situation, I don't know if it's very common, but I was in a hospital that I go to frequently. It was a network hospital. I actually, you know, was unconscious with a uh, pretty bad infection, and they called a specialist in, you know, uh, an infectious specialist in to see me. And, uh, you know, I never knew she saw me, um, but I I found out later she wasn't in my network, and I got billed. And, you know, I never even knew she saw me, and uh, I was in a hospital that was in my network. So, you know, I ended up fighting it and being able to get my insurance to accept, but it was so much work. Is this common? It is common, actually. This is, this is one of the, the, the items that really uh, end up coming back to bite people after they get out of the hospital. And it is an issue, uh, really, for your insurance company. Your insurance company has engaged in a contract. They have a legal binding contract with that hospital to accept their rates for particular types of care. And particularly in a situation, really, even if you weren't unconscious, it's pretty difficult to control who comes to see you. It's not reasonable to say to every provider who walks into your room, are you in network with such and such insurance company? Oh, you're not? Well, then you're going to have to leave. I mean, that's just not reasonable. Um, And if you're unconscious, clearly there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, I think that a lot of insurance companies, it's my understanding, um, recognize increasingly that, you know, this is their responsibility. Uh, You've gone, you've done everything that you can do. You've gone to an in-network doctor. You've gone to their in-network hospital and, uh, you cannot be held responsible for that. So that's something that you want to fight really hard, and you really should, uh, the onus should be on your insurance company to take care of that with the hospital. So should the situation be where you should contact your insurance company and explain the situation, you know, like, because I actually, it took me a little bit longer, but I went to the physician, like, look, this isn't right. I should have went to the insurance company and said, I'm getting this bill. I was in the hospital and um, fight it that way. Yeah, I think talking, again, going, you know, going back to the issue of prevention, to the extent that they have control, it's a good idea ahead of time perhaps to talk to, to your doctor and say, look, you're in network, I've chosen a network hospital, I know that it can be a problem that non-network physicians come to see me during my stay. I'm letting you know up front who my insurance company is, to the extent that you can help me with this, you've you got to, you know, try and manage this. I'm not sure how reasonable it is for him or her to do that, but I think it's important to have that conversation. But from that point, if you're billed for an out-of-network provider, I would go to the insurance company because, as I said, they are the ones who hold the contract with that hospital. They have negotiated a rate for particular types of care. The hospitals agreed to that. And so then to send non-participating doctors into your room and to charge you you know, an unnegotiated rate for that is just not reasonable. I think that the onus should be on the insurance company that has the relationship with the hospital to work that out with the hospital. Now, does it always work that way perfectly? <laughs> no, but I think that it is uh, going to the insurance company in that particular case would be the most appropriate step to take. Well, and also I think, too, you just have to be a squeaky wheel. I know I ended up getting it resolved, but, I mean, they were just like, okay, we'll take care of it. We're tired of hearing from you. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, and and the other point to make is that talking about a squeaky wheel, you know, a lot of times, whether it be insurance companies or even the billing department of a hospital, you know, you may be dealing with uh, customer service representatives who only have so much control over what actions they take. Sometimes, quite frankly, the training um, and the understanding about the various benefits and what should and shouldn't happen isn't always what it should be. And kick it up. Kick it up 
the, the ladder. Uh, go to the top person at the hospital. Go to uh, a supervisor or, frankly, even at an executive level in an insurance company because uh, they have hired, you know, customer service people to handle this. And when it's not handled properly at that level and somebody higher up is being bothered repeatedly uh, with something that uh, many people working for them should have been able to handle, you can believe it's going to get taken care of. Well, yeah, it's, um, it is, you know, I mean, and there's been situations where I've actually walked into the hospital, and, you know, because I had another appointment in the area, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go to the billing office and see if I can, you know, talk to somebody there, and then I'll get a name from somebody I should talk to. I think that's a great idea, and you know what, I mean, it, it may seem a little old-fashioned, but the fact of the matter is, when you can sit down with somebody face-to-face, if it's possible for you to walk in... They, they see your face, they see you're a nice person, you're having a reasonable discussion, you're asking for help. I, I only think that that can help your situation. Yeah, it's hard, you know, it is. When you get in front of somebody, it's hard for them to say, go away. And you are a customer of the place. I mean, patients forget that, but they're customers. I mean, you know, people are providing a service because we have insurance, and they kind of forget that, like, oh, they're doing us a favor. No, they're working for us. I mean, <laughs> it's it's sometimes backwards. Uh you know, is there a timeline when you're supposed to get a bill? I mean, or is it just by the end of the year? Because I've had situations where I've seen somebody, and then like 10 months later, I get a bill or a copay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I am not necessarily certain if there is a timeline within which a provider has to send a bill to a patient. But what I do know is that insurance companies, pretty typically, in fact, I would say in almost all cases, although it can vary, do have timelines that they require providers to live within in terms of submitting their bills. So it would be common, for example, for a, a physician's office to have to submit a bill, let's say, within 90 days to an insurance company. Hospitals usually have more time. I, I'm not certain that it's a requirement that it get to you know the patient within that period of time, but I would say that if they're billing to get insurance payment within that period of time, it might be reasonable to expect that ability you would go out um, within that time period as well. However, it doesn't always work that way. And, and so, you know, what I urge people to do is, again, in that same folder, you, you've got one folder sort of throwing all your, all your bills. You know, maybe, again, if you have a lot of services that you're, that you're looking at, a lot of doctor's appointments, uh, hospital stay, create like a little, you know, notebook for yourself and write down in your Google calendar, whatever works for you, um, all the different services that you've had, the dates, which doctor you saw, you know, what copay you paid, so that you can kind of look it over and say, you know what, uh, a month ago I went and saw Dr. X and I still haven't received the bill and you can pick up the phone and call and find out what's going on. Well, you know, I think I need to invest in a file cabinet because uh, I have so many different, you know, bills and doctors and and luckily, I mean, um, you know, I, I've gotten a system over the years where I think I'm effective, but it can be so overwhelming. And I think I had a situation where I was billed like, at a later date because it was an out-of-network physician. And so I think they just kind of bill whenever they want because they're going to bill me the amount. And uh, what's interesting is when you're out-of-network, if your insurance company will will send you a check to cover that cost. Now, what is the best way? Um, I know many patients cash it and forget about paying the doctor, which is a, a bad thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but is it, it better to just sign it over to the provider or cash it and then send them a check? 
You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure it really matters. I mean, I, I guess, you know, as a first step, I would just do my due diligence in making sure that the amount that you're getting is truly the amount that is, uh, that is owed to the physician, that there hasn't been any other billing that they've collected. I would do that first. Um, and then... I, uh, personally, I mean, I, I probably would cash it and write a check and put a little note at the bottom for exactly what it's for. for um, yeah, it'd probably be easier. Yeah, but you know, yeah, pay them, wait a while to pay them, make them wait for a while, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, make them wait. But but at the same time, you know, I think one of the the issues around waiting, I think today probably more than ever because of you know, medical costs are rising so dramatically. And particularly in this very difficult economy where people are having a hard time paying their bills, you know, providers are really not so interested in, in you know, being in the business of, of being a debtor. So I think they are generally, and as I'll speak just generally, a, a little bit more inclined these days to send things to collections. Right. I know. I just like the idea of having it for a couple of weeks to look at your bank account and say, wow, I got a lot of money, and then realize you're really broke. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you can, you know, it, to the extent it doesn't harm your your, uh, your personal credit, you know, and you want to play games. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, sometimes, uh, like, I've received a bill that is like $38 in collections. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it's like you have 30 days to pay. And I'm like, wait a second. This is the first time I ever received this bill. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, I think that happens a lot. I think that sometimes, again, that, that goes back to a couple of things. I mean, it's entirely possible sometimes that the, you know, the doctor's office just didn't do a good job. They're not on top of their billing. It's been delayed and you now they just decide to send it to collections. It's really common. Um, I know that I've personally had this happen where I, I got a notice that something was going to collections over a $15 copay that I'm certain I paid. But they had an old address, um, and, you know, for X number of, I don't know, for a long period of time, they claim we're sending a bill to an address I hadn't lived at for two years. So I had no, no knowledge of this, um, and that can happen. And that is why you, you want to check and make sure that your address is correct. And, and incidentally, I mean, in my particular case, Every time you walked into the doctor's office, they would confirm that your address was current, and they had my current address. They had not forwarded that information, however, to their billing uh, vendor. In this case, it was off-site. So that's a question you might want to ask as well. Okay, you've got my current address. What's your process for sending? Who does your billing? And have you sent this to them as well? Um, because they can send you stuff, and all of a sudden you get a notice saying that your, your stuff is in collections, and you never got a bill in the first place. Yeah, no, just like uh, it, it is, it's extremely frustrating. And I know the ideal situation for me would be where I could go online and then be able to look at all my doctors, all my bills, everything in one place. And uh, do you know of any healthcare company that allows people to go on? I mean, it really wouldn't make sense because there's so many different providers. It's so complicated. But it would be nice to have it all in one central database that you could sign on with a username, like a reverse Facebook you know, Absolutely. for healthcare or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there definitely are um, services that can do that. I mean, Google got out of the business, but Microsoft Health Vault. Um, there are a number of private companies that are making it possible for people to keep their uh, their medical records online, creating their own online medical record. And there are sites that um, that even help you to to keep track of your of your medical bills. Um, 
you know, I, I don't have any names for you off the top of my head, but I, they, they absolutely do exist, and more of them are coming up all the time because, you know, medical expenses are a major, major issue. They're a huge cause of, of bankruptcy in this country, um, and so there are lots of new businesses, startups that are, that are developing these. Um, and, you know, part of health reform and all that, you know, online medical records is a really big issue. So there are absolutely are resources available for people, and you should go online and check that out. Um, so if you're disputing a bill that you received, what do you do? So there's two different things. I guess if you're disputing a bill, in other words, that you got from, from a doctor's office? Yes, or a hospital or any type of medical procedure. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, the first thing that you want to do is, is really pick up the phone. Again, you know, compare it. I, I think it's helpful if to, to collect your bills um, and then to compare what you've received against your explanation of benefit if you have insurance and, and they have paid something. Um, you want to ask for an itemized bill if you haven't gotten one so that you see the details about, you know, of the bill and exactly what you're being charged. And then compare it against the explanation of benefits. And then, you know, you want to pick up the phone and call somebody from the billing department and ask them to walk through it um, with you and to sort of confirm what you're, what you're seeing. I mean, um, you know, and, and make and dispute, you know, the, put it in writing. Uh, I, would, I would put it in writing and make it clear that there are certain items on the bill that you either didn't receive service for or that were overcharged. Um, send it to the billing department by certified mail so that you have a record of it um, and work with the billing department that way. And, again, don't be shy about sort of kicking it up the ladder if you have to if you're dealing with the hospital and you're not making headway with the billing department. Well, one of the things I've done, too, is I basically every time I call them, I log it. Yeah. You know, and who you spoke to, you know, um, uh, you know, what name. And so you basically showing a, a record that you are trying to resolve this and they're not communicating back with you. That's exactly right. You absolutely want to start building a log. You're you're building a case demonstrating, as you said, the efforts that you're making um, to pay your bill in a fair way, to pay what you owe, Um, and uh, you want to keep track of everything, who you talked to, as you said, the date that you spoke to them, what you were told. Um, And that's information that, that you can use if you have to go further with your complaint. Um, if it's a situation where you've had a claim denied by your insurance company, um, that's a slightly different process. And, you know, insurance companies today, and especially now because of health reform, all are required to, uh, with the exception of plans that were grandfathered, and, and that's something we can talk about in a minute, um, basically have to allow for both an internal and an external review. So if you had a claim that was denied, they send you information saying, I'm sorry, we're not going to pay for this service, and you believe that your plan should cover it, they should also send you with that information about how to go through the appeals process. And, you know, there'll be certain pieces of information they'll ask you for. And I think really important for people to be aware of is that there's always going to be timelines. Uh, there's going to be a time limit, so you've got to pay attention to what those are and get your information on time. And so the first step is that that will be reviewed internally at the insurance company. If they then deny it again and you feel that you should be covered, you can uh, apply for an external appeal, which will be, you know, a third party basically will take a look at your case. And and in a lot of states, that's your state insurance department. And then we'll make a ruling, uh, you know, at that point. 
Well, one of our members uh, or a friend of mine had a situation where the insurance company was billing her. It was up to $300,000 for uh, some, you know, she was getting a new protocol to get a transplant. And basically, the, the center was administering the protocol. And basically, I guess they hadn't provided the insurance company with enough information that this was a, a necessary type of treatment and it had enough uh, studies around it, that it was actually a viable procedure. And so it took her forever, but she ended up finding somebody to help provide the documentation <laughs> after the fact to get out of the bill. I mean, you know, she would tell me that she was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose everything. But the actual place that provided this new treatment, like send, they sent somebody out to give her IVs and everything. They hadn't recorded the information properly, the actual insurance company. And she thought, oh, everything's being taken care of until she was hit with the bill. Luckily, she was able to resolve it by the appeals process, getting, you know, the information that they required and was able to reverse that. But I mean, she was just devastated. Um, and, and it is. I mean, appeals do work if you actually, this is where healthcare professionals can help you. She actually changed physicians and a physician that was more specialized in this care and was able to help her with the situation. Yeah, I think that, I think getting your doctor involved is, is important, particularly if you're talking about a situation like this where the treatment is, if not experimental, somewhat new or, or not routine. Um, I think it's really important. Your doctor can help you because oftentimes it is about, um, you know, making available to the insurance company clinical information about why it's required. And that, that's needed and that's something that your doctor can always help with. And, it, and also it goes back to, again, if you are looking at some kind of a service um, you always want to check ahead of time, if at all possible, as to what what are the rules of your insurance company. Do you need preauthorization? Are you going to need more information from your doctor? And if your doctor has to send over some kind of justification for this treatment, you know, follow up and make sure it was done. See if you can get a copy of it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and incidentally, you know, you talk about your friend and the appeals. Kind of an interesting statistic. Um, this came out earlier this year from the uh, Government Accountability Office, and what they found was that um, I think as much as 59% of health insurance appeals to fight a denial of coverage did result in the insurer reversing its original decision. So you have you have a really good chance of reversing a decision. So it is also important to remind people, don't just take it at face value. You, you absolutely should appeal the decision if you feel um, that you've been wrong because, uh, one, because it's the right thing to do. It's a fair thing to do. And two, it actually it actually works. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to being the squeaky wheel. Huh? I mean, it's so much work. And I mean, it's like, I, I think I would rather go to the dentist than deal with medical bills. I mean, and on, you know, then you have to go through that automated phone system and I start yelling at it because I can't get to the person I want. And I just, you know, I know it's causing my blood pressure to rise. It's making me sick to deal with it at times. So. Well, and, and so that's a good, you know, that, that's worth mentioning then. I think that particularly if you are really sick, particularly if you have very high medical bills, there are medical billing advocates um, that are available, and, and these people can really be like a godsend. Uh, you know, you basically hand over all of your information, and they will, one, you know, really take a close look at your bill to make sure that you have been, been, been billed accurately so that there are no mistakes. Um, they can negotiate on your behalf. And they really have 
oftentimes a pretty pretty high success rate in, in lowering bills. And so I'll just mention a couple of companies. Um, Health Proponent is one company um, that works with consumers, they, and it's, it's the consumer arm of, of Health Advocate. And um, that's important for two reasons. And the other one that deals with, with uh, the patients can go to is Medical, billing, uh, Medical Bill Advocates of America. Those are two big ones. They, they charge in different ways. Some of them do a flat fee. Oftentimes there's a 20 or 30% charge off of the amount they save, which sounds like a lot of money. But if, you're, if your bills are high, I think uh, at the end of the day, you, you probably, in, in most cases, you're going to end up saving yourself some money. The other thing that people should be aware of is if you get your insurance at work, increasingly employers are recognizing exactly what you're saying, that these kinds of issues you know, make their employees sick. They take up a huge amount of um, of time, and all of this can impact your productivity at work. So, a lot of a lot of employees are now contracting with these health advocates, um, health billing advocates, or just advocates in general that help kind of navigate the entire spectrum of of uh, the healthcare system from dealing with your bills to helping you find, you know, the best nursing home for your mom. And if your employer offers this, it's, it is one of your benefits and usually totally free of charge to you. So if, you're, if you haven't heard about it, but you have comprehensive benefits through your employer, definitely ask your human resources department if they have something like this because it's, it's a great service. Yeah, I know it would be very helpful in situations because sometimes, you know, you just like, who do I call? And, you know, even with uh, pharmacies now, I mean, especially if you have a transplant, you deal with, I have a specialty pharmacy for my transplant meds, and then I have to go to a regular pharmacy. And uh, I find that the, you know, certain, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. You're always on the phone trying to resolve something or you haven't received something. So it can be quite daunting at times. (laughs) Yeah, it really can. And that's why, that's why if you, again, you know, it, it is worth at times, if you've got a lot going on, and particularly if your bills are high, it, I think that there are, are definitely cases where it's very much worthwhile to contact a billing advocate and, and get that kind of help. I mean, they sort of take it off your hands and just deal with it for you. And um, that can be valuable not only financially, but I think on an emotional level as well when, when you're feeling sick and, and you're scared about the, the cost of your care, which can be so high in many cases. Well, and one of the things, too, is like the worst thing in the world, but, you know, it happens for a variety of reasons, is is if you've gone to collections. And that could be because you avoided taking care of things or you just don't have the money. Um, Can you explain a little bit how, you know, even a $25 charge that you just think, oh, it's not important, if that goes to collections, what that can do to you? That's such an important point. As I said earlier, I think that providers today really are sending um, outstanding bills to collections increasingly because they just don't want to carry the debt. And when they sell it to a collector, they, they only get pennies on the dollar, but they at least are getting some money back, and then they can close it out. Um, so a couple of things. I mean, you definitely do not want something to go to collections. There's been so many stories, and maybe you've read some yourself even, in the media about people who had no idea, and this goes back to just having never received a bill, that they had, you know, a $30, $40, you know, outstanding medical bill. Maybe they never got it. And then they're trying to get a mortgage or they're trying to buy a car or in some cases even if you're looking for a new job, they may look at your credit report and are surprised to learn that their 
credit has been dinged because of this outstanding medical bill. It's so important. Your, your medical bills really have far-reaching impacts in so many different areas of your life. So a couple of things. Um, again, I'll start with prevention. Get ahead of the problem. If you, if you have large medical bills, it is a totally common and understandable reaction to just sort of put your head in the sand. It's stressful. Uh, but that's really the wrong thing to do. You, you want to call your provider, your healthcare provider or the hospital. Let them know right away, you know, I've got big bills. I know up front it's going to be a challenge for me to pay them. Let's talk about a payment plan that I can afford. You want to be clear with them that you're committed to paying this, that you're, that you're asking them to not send this to collections. And then once you set up a payment plan, you've got to really stick with it. Make sure it's one you can afford because if you miss one payment, uh, you can bet that, that a lot of providers are just going to send it straight to collections. So that's one thing you can do. Get ahead of the problem if you know the bills are going to be big. Um, in some cases, collectors will contact you before they've reported um, your case to the credit bureaus. And if that's the case, you know, that's a good position to be in. You want to get their commitment in writing before you pay them one penny that if you pay this bill, uh, it is not going to be sent to collections. That's really important. Uh, so that's an opportunity there. If it's already gone to collections, um, you still have to pay this. And again, keep in mind that collectors buy this debt for pennies on the dollar. So what does that mean? It means that the original cost of the bill uh, is something that the collector bought for a lot less money. This is an opportunity for you to negotiate. Recognize that you have to pay the bill off, but you can now negotiate for a much lower price. And you so if you have a bill for like $1,000 and they're trying to collect from you, um, you could say, look, I could, I could pay this off today for $500. Exactly. That's exactly right. Right. Um, that's right, because you can be sure that they didn't pay $1,000 for that debt. It's kind of amazing how things work. I mean, you know, here on one hand, you don't know what anything costs, and then it's an expensive procedure at a hospital or a doctor's office. Then they sell it at collections at, at a penny on the dollar, but they won't. I mean, it's just, it just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense. And, and what also makes no sense is that if you don't have insurance, it means you're, you're in a worse position, certainly, than somebody who does to actually pay the bill. But what happens? You, you end up getting billed for like three or four or maybe even more times the amount that somebody with insurance because you don't have that negotiated rate. It is a crazy system. With regard to that, though, you know, that's also if you're paying out of pocket for your own care. Um, some states, first of all, there, there are laws in some states um, where they have to place a moratorium on, on bills being sent to collections for a period of time. Um, so, you know, you should check with your state's Department of Insurance. And also some states, and California is one of them, where there is a limit on how much hospitals, for example, can charge people who are paying for care out of their own pocket. So these are some of the consumer protections that you should check into in your Department of Insurance. Well, Lisa, this was s such great information. I think, you know, a lot of times you read through it, you really don't understand the process, and you're so knowledgeable about it. Uh, can you um, please provide your uh, blog address again for the people who are listening? Sure. My, my website is uh, www.lisazamoski.com, and my last name is spelled Z-A-M-O-S-K-Y. Um, you can also find me 
uh, in the Los Angeles Times Health section. I write the column Health 411, in which I respond to readers' questions about a wide range of issues uh, in terms of navigating the healthcare system or paying for healthcare. And then you can also find me, I write the Health Insurance Navigator blog for WebMD. Um, and so you can find me at any of those places. Well, navigation is so important, and thank you so much for helping us navigate this crazy system. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, you almost want to ask for an extra prescription of Xanax when you're at the doctor, (laughs) don't you? (laughs) I know. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lisa. This was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 